Terry, an absolute treat to have the legend of WA Racing himself, Darren McCauley, joining us on the show today. Welcome to the 1-1, one, one, Darren. Good on you. Thanks indeed, BJ. It's a real pleasure, actually, for me to join you two fellas this morning as well to, to talk all things racing. So uh, thanks for the invitation. <laughs> uh, obviously, Darren, uh, as you know, Terry and I are both um, passionate and uh, WA Racing fans and uh I guess your voice is all we've ever really known. So, um, yeah, it'd be, be great. We, we often listen to you tell the stories of others throughout the industry, and we'd like to give you this opportunity to tell your own story, Darren. Yeah, it's very good of you too. And I, I suppose when I think back about it now, after all of these years being involved in the racing industry, Britt Taylor said to me one day, we we're having a chat at the races, and she said, you know one thing, and I didn't really think too much about this at the time uh, until much later. She said, you've been the soundtrack to my life because of her involvement in racing. She said, from the day that I was born, and I do remember heralding Brittany into the world on Channel 10. I was reading the sport there at that particular time on the weekends, and her dad, Jim, had just won the Ascot Gold Cup on Flying Draw for her grandmother, Lois. And, of course, Jim rushed uh, there to see... um, the, the arrival of Brittany into the world and, and we all heard about that and mentioned it that evening and as she said for the next 28 years that's the voice that I've become most familiar with uh, listening to replays and watching the races live over all of you know the best part of three decades so I think that was quite nice of her to, to mention that to me I as I said didn't think too much about that at the time but then later on I was sitting there just pondering and thinking how many years have gone since I I first started calling. Yeah, I, I know I texted you about this last night, Darren, but um, one of my earliest memories of you was dad. my dad dragged me along to a function at the Ascot Inn. It was raising money and it was a Calcutta of some sorts and um, you came up with the greatest race never run um, and you said it was a I – think, I think it was a mile wait for age race at Flemington and you had Farlap and Tullock and Kingston Town, Gunsey and all the greats and um, – I'll never forget it. The, the horse that actually won the race was a horse called Burnborough, the Toowoomba Terror. And um, I remember leaving there asking my dad, like, who Burnborough was because I'd never heard of Burnborough at that stage of my, yeah. of my <laughs> life. And I was talking to my pop and telling him the story, and he um, he then went out and went to Gannon's and um, Middies and purchased the Burnborough biography for me or the book and uh that was one of, that was probably my the first horse i ever fell in love with so uh, yeah, yeah, well, BJ, you, that's right because yeah well that's the thing i was raised on those names i mean you go back and and, and burn brewer and, and farlap of course uh, was the preeminent of all and, and everything was based around the foundations of farlap or i guess if you were into your racing history you'd go back and you might want to know a bit more about archer um you know our, our first melbourne cup winner and and history in racing has always been very important to me. And, and those horses that you mentioned there, whether it be a Burnborough, you know, the uh, Toowoomba Tornado, as he was known, and, and just reading everything that I could about him and his powerhouse blistering finishes and, and how the crowds used to erupt when he stormed a victory with Apple Mully in the saddle. Mm. Um, and, you know, then hearing about Tullock and, and so forth and, and the great mere light fingers during the 1960s and so on and so on. And so you, you develop this very romantic notion of racing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, probably more so than what we experience today. But, I, yeah, I do remember that now. I, I know that you uh, raised that, and I thought, boy, I can't remember. I've done so many phantom calls. And um, I, I do sort of start to remember things as you unlock the chambers in your mind over the years about things that you've done. And, 
And those phantom calls, they were the start for me. I used to do those in the Grand Hotel as a kid, 13, 14 years of age, <laughs> at uh, the late Jack Young's Grand Hotel in Hannon Street on a Friday night. I'd go there and have a bit of uh, a muck around and call phantom races and, and earn a few you know, coins along the way, and and it was just good fun, and it uh, it helped you interact with the crowd, and and um, you know, just get confidence, I think, in in something that you wanted to do. So it was a nice platform, and here I am doing them all these years later. I'm doing a few more over the weekend, working with Stevie J, um, uh, who's over here for the for the couple of next couple of days to do a few functions. So uh, they they all want phantom calls included in the particular functions. So you have a bit of fun with them, and it's it's good for people to get involved. Well, yeah, I suppose that's what we wanted to, to know, Darren. Like, how did a how did a kid from Kalgoorlie become the voice of WA Racing? Well, it started with my dad, uh, who was uh, initially apprenticed to Reg Trafone around at the Aquanita era, and he was always going to get a bit too big. And I, I don't know too much about uh, Dad's life beyond that, other than he was a pretty accomplished horseman and finished up as a linesman in Kalgoorlie, where he had met Mum, and um, you know, subsequently I came along in '63. And he, he continued to have a, a strong involvement with trainers writing work for them as well as going to do his own job as a, as a liney. So um, horses were always close to us in the backyard and, and I was just absolutely besotted by them. And, and when I went to the races for the first time, um, probably as a five or a six-year-old and sat down at the ledger on the home turn at Kalgoorlie, and just the power and the enormity of horses and the, the colours and the the yelling and the theatre of uh, the jockeys, you know, hustling and bustling when they were kicking off that corner and I'd sit there and, and then get on my bike and ride back home, you know. It was a very free and easy life as a kid growing up, but once I was there and I saw that and I experienced that, I was bitten well and truly. And I finished up becoming the flag boy at the races at about eight years of age, working there with the KBRC, um, just holding a flag. It was a rickety old set of starting gates. They hadn't, if there was ever the uh, prospect of a false start, I'd have to wave it down. I never did that in a couple of years. And then one day, uh, a guy that you know, BJ, Tommy Graham, the Irishman, who uh, went so close to winning the cup in, in 70, I think was it 74 or 274, I think it was, when Allegation beat Kabuki. He'd led all the way and got beaten in the last stride. Um, Tom finished up riding in Kalgoorlie, and he became such an important part of my early life, uh, my development, and in understanding racing. And I was his valet, uh, a job that you would have done yourself, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you learn more in that jockey's room about anything else. It is an education in itself. And Tommy and the other jockeys there gave me that education. And I was privileged enough to be the first valet in Kalgoorlie ever, uh, and I worked there till I was 14, looking after Tom's gear and a lot of the other visiting jockeys from interstate that came across. And, um, you know, that could have been like a, a Mick Gorham or a Mel Shoemaker or uh, a Neville Voigt, uh, any of those, Peter Cook. And I, I got to ex- meet them and, and uh, just put their gear together on race days. And, and I, I then, you know, knew that it was time to go to the next step and that was to start honing my craft as a broadcaster, which I really wanted to do. Who, who do you think, um, who was the inspiration for you to, to start calling races and, and who did you model, I guess, your, your calling style off? There were a, a number of them and, and, of course, back in uh, when I was uh, growing up through the 70s, BJ and, and Terry was uh, radio. That was the only medium unless you went home on a Saturday night and you watched Max Simmons present today in racing from Ascot or Belmont. He'd rush back from the Metropolitan Courses and you'd get to see the last 400 metres of every race and Max would talk over them. 
and that was the only time that you really got to see race vision. So everything was built around the trust of the radio and the commentator, and I think it was because of their depiction of racing, how they could create the imagery of what was going on that sold us, all of us, all of us kids in Cal growing up, we're all racing fans. Most of my mates today um, still with us are still deeply interested or passionate and have been all their lives because of horse racing. And I'd listen in the car to, you know, there were a number of them. Uh, Max was, I guess, one of my great mentors and became a very, very strong influence in my life through it when I eventually got to Perth. But interstate, you'd be listening to the likes of Bert Bryant. You'd be listening to Bill Collins in Sydney, uh, John Tapp, uh, who I became great friends with over the years. And I probably modelled myself more on Tappy than anyone just because of his innate ability to be able to connect and describe uh, what was going on there with that magnificent sense of theatre uh, in a more modern kind of a way. Uh, Ian Craig, uh, one of nature's absolute gentlemen, I had the pleasure of calling alongside when I did a little stint in Sydney um, some time ago. Uh, they were probably the, the more instrumental and influential figures. And, and even, I guess, although I've been calling for a long time, I was always a wonderful admirer of Greg Miles and, and 36 Melbourne Cups said it all, and, and Brian Martin, these great commentators um, that we, we had the pleasure of listening to. And, of course, even Matty Hill today. Matt, I'm just a massive fan of the work that he brings uh, to continuing the craft so, so where did you get your big break, Darren? Were you were you like a cadet at a radio station? What what's the what, what was the pathway for you from from um, from Kalgoorlie to to the airwaves? What happened was when Mum and Dad separated, I was about sixteen, uh, Fiji, and I I was sort of a bit lost. I was playing a lot of sport, football, and cricket in the gold fields, as most of us did. Are you um, any good? And, uh, oh yeah, I was okay. Yeah. I was okay. Uh, yeah, he had a really got a few foot. kicks. Uh, yeah, yeah, cobbled a few. Um, Are you playing for the Eagles at the moment? Uh, <laughs> I could nearly get a game for the Eagles <laughs> right at the moment, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare pull on the blue and yellow. I'm sorry, Terry. I'm a doctor <laughs> through and through, as you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, I'm. Uh, I, I blue. I, I bleed purple. We probably uh, need to wind this up then, I suggest. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I'm not going to rub it in. Dear that's a very short-term outlook. I would have thought, Darren, but that's a, that's a, that's a conversation for another day. It might be more long-term. It might be more long-term. It's hard, hard to argue with yeah, it. Absolutely. But yeah, you know, to, to get it back on track, I suppose um, the, the break came uh, who through the Lord Mayor of Cal at the moment, Johnny Bowler, who became a a great friend and um, I guess a, a mentor for me. He was a, a journalist at the Kalgoorlie Minor. I, I got a job uh, as a postman. I was pretty fit back in those days and we'd have the push bike and we'd ride for miles and miles. And, and you know, I, I had a, a very famous round that I used to deliver the mail on, um, which is a story for another day. And and then... Um, <laughs> we need to hear that one now, actually. <laughs> well, it was a good story. Well, I'll tell you something. It, it, that, it did sort of teach you a lot about life, uh, that the famous... Hay Street Bordellos of Cal, I was their postman, and I, <laughs> I, I finished up. I, I finished up um, uh, running their bets at the TAB shop at the Sarangata Hotel. Uh, you know, I'd be down there buying their darts and, and and things like that, just because they were in a containment policy. When I was their go-to guy, a 16, 17 year old, and, and one of the madams there finished up telling me some great racing stories about her 
her biological father, who was a famous famous identity in Sydney, who owned a Golden Slipper winner, and and of course historically and famously, I suppose, threw money to the crowd when it won. It was back in the sixties. I don't need to name anyone there in this story, but that's what was told to me. Um, and so I, I had this incredible education, you know, life education in the gold fields. And, and then Johnny Bowler got me a job writing racing at the Cal Minor. And, and then there was an opportunity when the uh, local handicapper, Jimmy Steinhauser, gave away handicapping because they did that locally in those days. And and he was sp- presenting sport as, as a journal at the Minor and he retired and, and they gave me the gig. And I worked with a bloke on air called Brian Dennis, who famously became Kevin Bloody Wilson. And we used to do three days a week together. <laughs> That's and, great. And then I, yeah, look, it was, you know, I, I was kissed on the backside, really. Oh, I mean, to, to work with these guys and, and the first ever commercial TV station outside of Perth was set up in, in Cal. It was um, a forerunner to GWN in VEW8 and we had our own racing and footy shows and I was part of all of that. So by the time I got to Perth when I was 18 going on 19, I'd had a fair foundation uh, working within the media and I was pretty confident in my abilities at that time, having grown up with a lot of older people who were encouraging in what I was wanting to do. And my first call, which went to 6PR, who were the broadcasters of racing in the day, was a sprint race. And it was two very good horses, one the star from Cal called Martremo, the other from Perth called Blue Portal, and they went head and head. And I called that race. It was the only race broadcast back to PR that day. And I got the, the race right. Uh, a photo result, and John K. Watts, the legendary radio footballing star, was listening with his wife at the time, Dale, and and not long after I got a phone call to express some interest in getting me to Perth. So that that's how it really all started. An opportunity came up. Rick Rogers, who was the head of sport at PR at the time, called me and said, we'd like to get you down here. I, I came to Perth and... Um, had a meeting with the management at 6PR and uh, Trevor Jenkins was calling at the time. He was the senior commentator and had some great callers around in those days. Uh, Johnny Hunt and, and uh, Stewie Shetton at the peak of his powers and, was, and Stuart was, Lowe. Uh, and, was George Gulisic around then, Darren? Yeah, he was. In yep. fact, yeah, I, I did. I applied for a job at the ABC at one stage before then and I got down to the last couple as a sports presenter. I was more interested in wanting to be involved in horse racing and a guy called Mike McCann got the job there and he stayed with the ABC for the next 30 years or thereabouts, a very good broadcaster. But George uh, took me under his wing when I got to Perth as well and I I um, learned a lot from George. Um, luckily, not his colourful vernacular. <laughs> <laughs> Did um, So, so what, what, what happened next year? Obviously, there was... Uh, I th- I th- from my memory, it felt like mid '90s was when you kind of took took the reins as the as the main sort of yeah. caller within within Western Australia. Yeah, that's right. Well, I got a job also working with Channel Ten. Stewie Joint, head of news there, got me reading some uh, sport and doing a day a week with Ian Brayshaw and a very young Tim Gossage at the time, and and also um, another a bloke who could play a little bit of cricket reasonably well called Adam Gilchrist. We're all doing a day a week at the 10 Network and doing sport, and I was reading on the weekends. And um, Then they wanted to start getting involved in racing, and they uh, got me to be their commentator and, and racing presenter. And so that was around 1992. But I'd been calling the trots at Gloucester Park as the senior harness commentator from about 1983, I think, for memory. I went through that lovely year with uh, you know the, the village kid, Pro Chevalier era that time so 
I was fortunate to get a really good 10 years. And I started calling, I think, in 1992, the Thoroughbreds. I'd always gone back to Kalgoorlie every season to call the races there. Um, PR took on that role not long after I actually got to Perth, so it was a blessing, really. I'd do the trots three nights a week and then do Kalgoorlie on a Saturday. And then I finished up being the man in the mounting yard with Stewie Shenton calling, and I was doing the interviews. And We had a great relationship, Stewie and I, and it was always very sad to me what happened to him at the end of it all, uh, through the last part of his calling years. Um, so he, he got um, sicker with his illness uh, as time went on and, and I finished up doing more and more and more racing. And then um, on the eve of, I think it must have been a winter bottom stake, so I got the call at Gloucester Park one night to go to the races and, and that's when everything changed for me permanently. And um, I, I finished up taking on that role as the senior thoroughbred commentator until today, of course. So it's it's been a, a really good ride, a ride of about 30 years doing the thoroughbreds. I really appreciate the fact that you've you've sort of lived through, I guess, the, you know, you caught the, I guess, the back end of the, the 70s maybe, you know, uh, yeah, I did. Through, yeah. to, through the absolute uh, halcyon Wild West days of the 80s, 90s, yep. like you've got this such a long, rich history of being at the, the coalface of West Australian racing and um, I feel like a book could be on the cards, Darren, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has been asked of me whether I'd sit down and, and pen some notes, and it, it's certainly something that will be entertaining to me, I guess, when I eventually step away from the microphone. And, you know, when that day comes, I'm not really sure at the minute. I'm still enjoying it enormously, uh, what I do. But um, I was very lucky to catch the golden era. Um, I, I was able to get to Perth go to the races a number of times there through the late 70s and, and watch good mates like Dave Rudman win the Cup uh, on Golden Centre, uh, you know, as a, as a kid. And, and, and Dave was a kid and we became good mates through the years. I met a lot of these boys when they came to Kalgoorlie to ride at one stage or another. Um, Stephen Miller was another of them too that, you know, remains a mate these days. But um, through the uh, period of the 80s, you know, you had the, the Holmes Accord era, the, the, the Connell era, um, and, and it was just extraordinary to go to the races. You know, you, you had Miller still riding at the peak of his powers. You had a, the Rocketman Kemp come on the scene, and their battles, uh, Ian Albuino was at the, the peak of his powers as well, had a very strong list of riders in our, our jockey ranks, and um, racing for me was like going to the theatre, and I was ha- lucky enough to be there mm-hmm. in the bookmaker's ring reporting all the wagering that was going on, doing the interviews in the mounting yard and just trying to bring that, I guess, tapestry of racing to the airwaves at the time because it was so important. And just to be there, you couldn't wait to get to the races. You couldn't wait to go through the turnstiles. You couldn't wait for the next race to come to see, you know, all the urges and the the bowlers (laughs) coming in and punting on behalf of, you know, the big names. And, you know, money was no object back in those days. It, It Ended all in tears for a number of people, but um, it was it was an, an amazing era. Not always for the best reasons, I might add, because yeah. there were some very colourful, I use in inverted commas, characters um, back in that period that that probably discredited racing as much as it was enjoyable with all the theatre that was going on. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, then we went through that really dull period. I thought um, it fell flat through the, you know. Um, Oh, I guess the the behaviour of a lot of people who who were just 
milking whatever they could get out of the game mm-hmm. and, and racing suffered, I think, from a credibility point of view until about 2000 when Northerly came along and, and that's when things changed. Uh, he, he effectively pulled racing up by its bootstraps at that particular time and gave it back its credibility again. And I'm, glad, think, I'm know, glad you mentioned that, Darren, because yep. that was such a turning point um, for, for, for us. He, the fighting tiger he wore the west australian colors he just he was just the best and but he sort of he just inspired everyone this this side of the nullarbor that like we could do it and we could compete and that you know just just injected so much life into wa racing that horse he certainly did well we were lucky enough because we've always had you know we i think we've fought well above our our weight uh, class uh, when our horses have gone into state we've had the you know some great horses go there uh, you know you go back to Say and I wasn't around really to understand it, but Aquanita uh, w- would have been one of those. And then through the period that we best know, um, I was lucky enough to, you know, follow the pathway of Wally Mitchell's Placid Arc. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Barossa Boy was such a star when he went over there uh, with Bobby Taylor. Um, you know, then you had the likes of Miss Andretti go there from Dave Mueller to Friedman, um, and then what Dan Morton did with Scenic Blast and Scenic Shot. And so on and so on. And but but when Northerly came along, well, that was the game changer. That's when we got credibility back. That's when they started to take us seriously again. And he he really did carry this state on his back, as well as the weight that he was asked to carry in a Caulfield Cup and win. And he did it successfully. And he gave our racing industry back what it had lost so sadly. You yeah. just mentioned some in- incredible names. Um... Uh, just then over the journey. Would Northerly be the best racehorse you've seen purely from a racing sense if I had to put you on the spot and ask you for one? Um, yeah, that's a difficult one because whilst I wasn't calling at the time I, I, and I didn't know how good Northerly was going to be cut, you know, in 2000 when he won that railway stakes when Dashing Dan rode him, no one knew what was going to happen next. It just sort of all unfolded in these glorious chapters of the turf over the next few years. But my... I guess most treasured memory was I became friends with a guy by the name of Russell Smith, who was the travelling foreman for Tommy Smith. And and when Kingston Town came here in 82 to run in the Western Mail Classic, I was able to give Russ a bit of a hand um, each day. The King had a crook leg, as most people knew, but it was through the efforts of Marjorie Charleston to get Tommy and David Haynes to bring him across here and win the race and of course, never race again after it. But, you know, we were running ice buckets from down at the Ascot Inn. Stewie Dyke had the hotel at the time, and we were running these empty molasses buckets down there so the king could stand in them throughout the day just to keep any heat out of his leg. And, I mean, it was remarkable to be a part of that and to go down most mornings and, you know, pat the big black horse on the head and and then go and watch him do what he did that particular day. And I personally wrote to Perth Racing WATC for years to get that race named in his honour. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started to have some level of influence and, and credibility about what I was doing and had gone through a period of different names and they were just absolute crap names for a Group 1 race. They were. They were. Uh, it was an insult, you know, I mean, you know, to, to, to win a Group 1 race called the Fruit and Veg yeah. or you know, the, the Beat Diabetes <laughs> or, or whatever. Yeah. Please spare me days. Um, and then they changed it to the Kingston Town and it gave that race enormous credibility. So... I must admit, it was bittersweet when they renamed it for last year, the Northerly, because yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I much would have preferred 
that race called the Gold Rush to be called the Northerly because it starts virtually in front of where Northerly Lodge is yeah. at the 1400. Yeah. Um, that, that would have been the race for me. And then to retain the Kingston Town, but um, sort of far more um, smarter people than me decided otherwise and, and that Northerly's name needed to be associated with that race, and, and which I find ironic because he never ran in it. Mm-hmm. So... It was always a bit bizarre, but you know what's what's in a name, as they say. What about the quaker, um, Darren? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a great day. Yeah. Uh, what about as a race was, name? Oh, I, I know you're winding me up. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm, we're with you. I think Darren, we're with you. I no, most, no, I no, no, I, no. I, I, look, I, I don't like the name, as um, most people know. Um, I, I look at. Marketers and promoters these days, they come from a different way of thinking. They don't have a I, – I guess it's the way that modern-day racing and pop-up races are going where they've got to come up with a quirky name. Mm. Um, but I don't know. I just think they still have to have a, a level of prestige about them. And, and it might be fun. And, no, you know, I, we are, that, I think we all that, agree that, with that, you that, for that, sure. That, that furry overgrown rat um, <laughs> that is on Rottnest Island – it gets its head on the TV all the time with different, you know, organisations like HBF and Co. And everyone thinks that's they're enough. warm and fuzzy. Well, that's great, you know. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's another story. And it's, it's it's just a, well, it's, it's a great race. I mean, it was a great day. First it was. Race. You did a fantastic job. It certainly yeah. was. A great I can day. tell you one person that uh, was pretty happy with the naming of the race. My neighbour uh, owns Nail Brewing, and uh, he just released a beer, just coincidentally called the Quokka, um not long beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, that lined <laughs> up, and he ended up getting sponsored. Yeah, and it's he, all, uh, he might all about have, the He might have a bit more. He might have a bit more influence than than Darren these days. He thought. He was absolutely pissed none, on the back I've got no influence. Yeah. <laughs> Darren, yeah. we, we know we know you have to you have to hit the road. You, you're calling today, and we've got I think we've got three minutes left. So well, we need to ask about yeah. We need to some of your some, some of your calls fire, over the journey. Fire. Something yeah. uh, you said, Britt asked you. Or Britt told you she basically grew up with your voice. My my partner yeah. asked me not long ago, like who's who's that bloke I always hear in there? Who's she still? She's not a big racing person, so doesn't completely understand. Yeah, yeah. And it actually occurred to me that I probably hear your voice more than anybody else's. I'm doing because I obviously we're doing this full time. I'm watching a hundred replays a day. They're going for a minute and a half a pop. I'm I'm thinking, geez, I'm uh, yeah, I'm probably dreaming. But anyway, over the journey there has you, been you, you poor bastard. That's exactly right. Exactly bloody right. Day. Exactly bloody right. Thank you. I, I was waiting for an apology for about ten years, and I finally got one. Well, over, I feel I do apologise. Some of your some of the calls over the journey had just been uh, well. Most of the calls over the journey have been tremendous. Um, we love them. I need to know some of your one-liners, and it's a question I'd love to ask Dennis Committee as well. In in a similar sense, I think you've both got very similar skill sets in your own codes. Do you come up with any of those one-liners pre-race? So, so the most famous one for me, or the most, I guess, personal one for me, is Dig Deep did that and won over the line in the two thousand and nineteen Caracatta. Oh, yeah. um, there's obviously Pikey's, a, a Pikey's, mil- Pogo, Pikey's stick. Pogo stick. Um, do, yeah. Are any of those pre-planned to a degree? No, no, they're not. Um, the the, the, the I Pikey Pogo no. stick. I, I, I had a flash back when I was a kid, and I had one, and uh, <laughs> I thought, well, he's going to need he, it. How the hell is he going to get out of this pickle that he's in? And and, and Pikey did, but I, I just thought, pink. well, <laughs> yeah, well, Elite Bell. That was that. That was one of my favourites. Um, yeah. I think delicacy. If you're talking about horses. 
you know, uh, like that. Oh, God, there are so many of them. Um, That's one of my favourite ones. Yeah. Delicacy, perfect reflection. Kingston Town, perfect reflection. Yeah. Uh, delicacy, perfect reflection. Don't know. Don't know in the Kingston <laughs> yeah. Town. I've still got friends yeah, that if no, I ask them a question and they don't have an answer, they still say to me, don't know, don't know. And it's- I don't yeah. know. No, there are some days. But you know what? There are some days when you do. And, and one of my favourite calls, which goes under the radars a little bit, was the race um, called the CB Cox Stakes back in the time. Uh, now known as the Ted Van Heemst. This is but this is the Fallon's ago, isn't it? Oh no, this is um, it's another one. This is scenic shot Dacker's gem. Uh, they they dead heated right. the race they this did. particular year, and yep. and I I was convinced there was no margin, there was no daylight, and I just declared dead heat, and I had you know no doubt in my mind it was a dead heat. And I turned around and the judges just put up straight away, dead eat. I knew it. And I thought, well, that is something I'm really happy about. And I I'm, always will be ever uh, pleased with that call. Um, the, the derby of about 1993, I think it was 1993 or thereabouts. BJ, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's around that time. Boart, King of Saxony. Oh, yes, yeah. I was, um, uh, I, I, that, that was my first day working as a, a valet for Stephen and Danny Miller that day. Yeah, well, yeah. well, SJ Road, King of Saxony, That's as you'll right. remember there. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, and David Rutherford was on Bow Art and then the great Nomrud filly. And, oh, boy, tactically, it was a great race to call. It was like watching a chess game unfolding. And I actually heard a, um, a description of it the other day. Someone showed me. They found it somewhere on YouTube. And um, I thought, wow, it, it did revive some great memories. So that was always one of my favourites, that, that particular derby. And I guess when you start working your way through the, the big races that you've described, you you go to 2008 and, and the build-up to the Winterbottom Stakes mm. there that year. Mm. I know it's been spoken about it. Ad nauseum, uh, take over target, you know, an Apache Cat. Again, tactically, the race, the way it unfolded, the the excitement, the two baldy-faced horses going to the line, there was a centimetre between them. And, it's a rarity and the that crowd. the hype uh, is actually matched by what happens on the racetrack afterwards, isn't it? That you yeah. get all this build yeah. up and then it, and it does eventuate exactly as uh, as you hope. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So uh, it was just the perfect script. And and that, I think, that race in two, and don't forget, too, Marasco ran third in that race. Yep. So, and he was a superstar. He's one of the best horses that never made it to the absolute top where he should mm-hmm. have been, I don't believe. And oh, he was an excitement machine. Remember the day he went through the running rail? Yeah. Yeah, it was at, uh, was it might have been Anzac Day or one of those mm-hmm. days. And Link Robertson rode him and he, he obliterated the fence and still won by seven lengths. Yeah. <laughs> it was extraordinary. Um, uh, but anyway, look, you know, there's so many of those races along the way and um, I don't know, I think as I get older and towards the back end of it all, you're trying to find something extra. I mean, that, the quokka there this year, I mean, what what a race it delivered as well. Yeah, didn't absolutely. quite go the way that most of us would have liked, but uh, and for a number of reasons. But anyway, that's racing, as they say, the, the, the punting public and, and race goes purest got what they wanted. From a yeah, from a personal point of view, again, that's just that that race call with uh, fathoms of gold um, kicking clear. Oh, the French uh, the French of what that is honestly because <laughs> I, I I think of a lot of my larger bets and I'm more interested. That was a race I didn't have much of an investment in, and just from a view, I, I will always that will always be my favourite race I've watched from a neutral sense. Just from so the good. call, the theatre, so uh, it was Pikey chasing him down. Just everything about it that that is and yeah. probably, will probably always be probably my favourite call. And that's the magic of racing, isn't it, mm. when things like that happen. Yeah. yeah, it is. Well, how often do you have a Frenchman 
riding a horse who takes off and does that. <laughs> Just and, to come and, up with au revoir, because you, you probably wouldn't have done a huge amount of thought process into a $200 pump. Thing. How am I going to get fat in the no. gold? You know, like you haven't. <laughs> Just it was just tremendous. It was like a I don't know. It was like a movie, just 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 shortened to two yeah. minutes or whatever it was. Magic. You know? I'll, tell, it's I'll magic. tell you something else. I'll tell you something else. It's a real good segue to wrapping up this interview too. I might have to say I've wired a few moments because I'm I'm going to go to Royal Northern. <laughs> Very good, hey, Darren. We, we won't keep you any longer. This has been this has been awesome. We've we've had a great time. We could chat to you for another. Yeah, Thanks, half hour, another yeah. hour. But um, thanks again, Darren. Thanks again for uh, for everything that you do for for WA Racing and uh, and the game that we love. Very kind of you. Thank you very much indeed, BJ and, and Terry. It's been an absolute pleasure to join you on your podcast. All the best. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, Darren. Cheers, boys. Good luck. <laughs>